3: the top stories from the KCBS radio newsroom. This is the
4: All Local. Good morning, I'm Chris Carlo.
3: And I'm Jennifer Hodges.
4: And here's what's happening.
3: On the same day a student was fatally stabbed at Montgomery High School in Santa Rosa, police made an arrest at nearby Maria Carrillo High. A student allegedly brought a gun to campus. As KCBS's David Welch reports, that has many students feeling unsafe on campus. After two significant events in one week,
1: one involving a gun on campus and another that included a stabbing death at a nearby school. Many Carrillo High School students say they don't feel safe on campus. And those same students say it's made worse by school staff keeping them in the dark.
2: When we're hearing rumors or having like people we trust tell us something and then we hear otherwise from the admin when we know that something else is definitely going on.
1: Student distrust seems to be growing due to a lot of conflicting accounts. Many students say they were never told about a gun being found on campus. Others say the story changed as the day went on.
5: There were cops here and they didn't really like tell they didn't even tell us what happened. Like we had cops come up to us and tell us.
1: To be clear, Santa Rosa Police did arrest a Carrillo high school student for allegedly bringing a gun on campus, and school staff did email parents advising them of the situation. But students here say they want more. And considering the state of school violence in America, better communication is something they say they'd expect. In Santa Rosa, David Welch, KCBS.
4: Gun violence very much on the mind of Californians. And KCBS's Kathy Wetman has the latest on a poll from the Institute of Government Studies at UC Berkeley.
6: Those surveyed were asked about their views on gun violence, gun control, and laws to protect gun owners. Mark DiCamillo, director of the Berkeley IGS poll, says they asked voters if they are worried about becoming victims of gun violence. And he is surprised by the
1: answer. 63% of the state voters said they were worried, and 30% of whom said they were very worried.
6: Camillo says he didn't expect that number to be so high. And he is struck by the differences in responses by party registration.
1: Democrats are twice as likely to be more worried about becoming a victim of gun violence than Republicans. 78%? Uh, Democrats say that, 36 percent of Republicans.
6: Here in California, most are interested in imposing more controls on gun ownership, 60 percent. A similar result over the years, something that's not always the case in other states. That just demonstrates that these attitudes on guns has pretty much been constant over those years and is not variable. The survey also shows attitudes on gun control laws to prevent mass shootings are mixed, with less than half saying they would help. Kathy Whitman, KCBS.
3: Police in Santa Rosa are investigating a traffic collision that left a pedestrian with life-threatening injuries Friday night. The person was hit around 6.30 by a car near Hona Avenue and Sierra Creek Lane. The driver, who police say is a Santa Rosa resident, remained at the scene and was cooperative with police. The victim was taken to a hospital in critical condition. Police are asking anyone who may have witnessed the crash to contact their department to assist with the ongoing investigation. A 77th birthday is being celebrated in Berkeley tomorrow with a 77-piece improvisational ensemble. Love it. Did I say it right? Got it. Nailed it. (laughs) KCBS's Jim Taylor has more.
0: The age range of these performers is as expansive as the experimentation of the music. The youngest, 12-year-old violinist, son of the saxophonist, the oldest, the trombone player in his mid-80s. Some musicians, conservatory-trained, others don't read music at all. They are members of the hepticon Takai Heptagon Ensemble. That's actually the word for a 77-sided figure, also the number of musicians in the ensemble, also the age of the man conducting the music, Vinnie Golia. <laughs> Performances by the Vinnie Golia Large Ensemble have taken on legendary status in Los Angeles. Over the years, he's cultivated deep ties to Northern California's improvised music scenes. At 7 o'clock Sunday, an extraordinary gathering of the tribes takes place at the Berkeley Finnish Hall to celebrate Golia's 77th birthday. He's a prolific artist, more than 100 albums documenting all manner of ensembles. Vinnie Golia's 77 piece, Heptagon Taki Heptagon Ensemble. Jim Taylor, KCBS. Sounds lovely.
4: let's take a peek at the radar here because we do have a band of rain that is slowly working its way southward and it is now starting to reach into the North Bay. So we have rain falling in Marin County and Sonoma County along the coast and uh, parts of Napa County. Uh, Eventually here reaching the peninsula, we've already seen the clouds build up significantly here in the last hour. And uh, we're expecting that rain to really begin in earnest about midday or so, maybe ahead of schedule a bit. And we'll see the uh, rain throughout the day as we reach only up to about 50 degrees. Tonight, back down to the 30s and 40s with breezy conditions and rain. Tomorrow, heavy rain to start off and then tapering off before another round of rain in the afternoon. Reaching again back up to the 50s, back down to the 30s and 40s. And then for your uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, each day, pretty easy. It's going to be 50 degrees and rainy, soggy. And then as we get into uh, Thursday, a ray of sunshine, still about 50 degrees. And then, yeah, more rain as we get to Friday and a high of degrees. With more news, here's Jennifer.
3: Well, the city of San Francisco launched its crisis response team as a way to respond to mental health crisis is without bringing in police. But in a new column from the San Francisco Chronicle, Nuala Bashari writes that the response team is currently in crisis. That after the city pulled out its mental health clinicians. Nuala joins us live now on the KCBS Ring Central news Newsline to talk more about that. Good morning, Nuala. Good morning. So I remember when the city formed these crisis response teams. Tell our listeners a a little bit about them, about uh, when they were formed and as far as the impact that they've had up to now.
5: Sure. So they were formed um, shortly after the George Floyd protests in 2020, when there was a lot of um, lashback against the police. And people were really calling for an alternative system, particularly for people who were experiencing mental health crisis, um, or other problems on the streets. And so Mayor London Greed pulled this team together. And in its original iteration, it had a paramedic, a mental health clinician, and a peer mentor who's someone who has kind of lived experience with the people that they're responding to. And between November, 2020 to November, 2022, they saw an enormous amount of calls. They responded to more than 14,000 in an average of 17 minutes. And took over almost all of the nonviolent behavioral health incidents that San Francisco police previously responded to.
4: So, why is the city backing away from this?
5: You know, that's a really good question, and I, I wish I had an answer um, that was very clear. So I first heard about the decision to pull the peer me- or the um, mental health clinicians off the rig a few weeks ago, and I reached out to the city to try to get an explanation. And the street crisis response team is a collaborative effort between the fire department, the Department of Public Health, and the Department of Emergency Management. So I spoke to all three of those departments and the mayor's office and couldn't really get a clear decision of who made the decision. Um, It seemed to have been done behind closed doors. But what happened basically is that the mental health clinicians are no longer on board and they were replaced with an EMT. And so right now, the rigs that are going out have a community paramedic, an EMT and a peer mentor, but no one who has a special degree in mental health or de-escalation.
3: Yeah, Noala, in, in, in the piece that I read that uh, that you wrote, you know, you talked about the fact that uh, these mental health clinicians are not necessarily losing their jobs; uh, they'll just be assessing after the fact, but not responding in, in the van itself. So that that kind of begs the question: if money is not an issue because these people are retaining mm-hmm. their jobs, then what is?
5: Exactly, and I think that is a good question, and I don't have a clear answer to it. It does seem like. Providing really thorough follow-up care to people is a really important part of resolving these crises on our streets. If the van, for example, is responding to someone who's having a mental health crisis and they calm that person down but leave them on the streets without a lot of follow-up support, that's a problem, right? That's not actually fixing the crisis. And so it does seem important to have really intensive case management and follow-up care, There was recently a project that took place in the Castro that did exactly that and was very successful at helping people who'd been unhoused and ill for a really long time get indoors. But it doesn't really make sense to me why we can't have that follow-up and the clinicians on board.
4: Yeah, it seems as though you're saying that we have proof of concept here, right? I mean, the the person on board is doing the job that we expected and it's working the way we expected. Are we in fact, I mean, have we in fact seen that sort of a big difference between just the follow-up versus the in-person on the street, on the sidewalk talking to that per- person in a moment of crisis?
5: You know, there hasn't it's only just been rolled out and so it's hard to know exactly what the impact is going to be, but you can kind of imagine, right? That if they're responding to calls where people are in crisis. Having someone who is trained to address that crisis from a behavioral health aspect is going to be really, really important. Obviously, paramedics and even an EMT could be really helpful if someone's experiencing a medical crisis, but a lot of these calls are related to behavioral health. So it does worry me You know that people are going out and, and they don't necessarily have the training to address all of these crises. And a weird part of this as well is that... Currently, the way that the vans are designed, there's no one left on them who can issue a 5150. So that's um, an involuntary psychiatric hold. And that's someone if, if somebody is really, really ill and really exhibiting a lot of behaviors that are endangering themselves or someone else. They would be transported um, to psychiatric emergency services. Yeah, very. but not involuntary hold. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: a very important capability there. And Nula, we appreciate your time in breaking this down with us. That was Nula Bashari, a San Francisco Chronicle opinion columnist. Uh, her piece is in the Chronicle today. If you want to pick it up and give it a read, uh, just talking about the fact that some of the mental health cr- clinicians have been pulled from the crisis response teams in uh, San Francisco after being rolled out under uh, much fanfare.
3: As the need for more affordable housing grows throughout our region, one county has launched a pilot program to help homeowners navigate the process of building an accessory dwelling unit, better known as an ADU, on their property. KCBS's Alice Wirtz reports.
6: Marine County is partnering with Hello Housing to provide cost-saving services through a pilot program. The goal? To provide property owners with free guidance on building an ADU. Jennifer Duffy is with Hello Home, a nonprofit that's helping with ADU Marin to educate and assist folks to get an ADU built on a property.
5: You know, so for some homeowners, it's just trying to figure out what's possible. Is this even feasible? What are the things I need to understand about the condition of my
6: property and the type of
5: ADU I'm wanting
6: to build? The free services offered are to get more housing into unincorporated Marin County. Duffy says with the statewide housing shortage and the state changing laws last year, It makes it easier for homeowners to add a small unit, and it just makes sense.
5: It's really an opportunity to create natural affordable housing strategies within the fabric of existing communities.
6: Marin County is providing the funding for Hello Home to meet with property owners. Another trend driving ADU demand? Multi-generational living is really on the rise. Alice Wurtz, KCBS.
3: Last summer, nearly 20,000 fish being studied at UC Davis died all at once. Now, as KCBS's Megan Goldsby reports, the school has confirmation on why it happened. It was a horrible situation. 19,711 fish dying in their tanks at the school's Center for Aquatic Biology and Aquaculture.
5: Sadly, this is just bringing up memories for all of us about what happened back then.
3: But at least now they have more answers, says Lori Brignolo, executive director of the research and teaching animal care program at UC Davis. The results of an independent investigation released this week nailed down the cause as a mineral clog in one of the aging pipes that caused
2: chlorine to seep up into the tanks.
5: It proved the source, and what we were able to do is actually... Determine with the, the, the plumbing system within, uh, within the COPPA facility. We actually had to dig up the plumbing that was related to the disinfection system to identify where the blockage was. And then it took further research to really identify how it backed up into the source water.
3: They were able to resume research a few months after the die-off, but not in the area where the chlorine originated, the fish disease research tanks. She says they are looking into a UV sanitization system for the tanks instead of one that has chlorine in it, so that work can
2: continue.
5: Having a better understanding of the disease process, uh, vaccination processes, treatment processes, and that sort of thing, are hugely important to fish welfare. Megan Goldsby, KCBS.
4: Friday marked the first of a two-day session being held by a California Reparations Task Force in Sacramento. The purpose is to come up with proposals for reparations owed to African-Americans in California impacted by slavery. The sessions are open to the public, and one person spoke about what he sees as a lack of community engagement on reparations. I'm hearing
5: time and time again in
0: California as well as in other places of the nation, that there is no mention of the California Reparations Task Force as it relates to public marketing and just general communications. And I think that is something that the task force should consider uh, reassessing.
4: Now, once the group produces its final report, it will be up to the state legislature to turn the proposals into a bill package and then the governor to enact the law.
3: UC Berkeley anthropologists are fighting back against a plan to close a library that houses just one of three anthropology collections in the country. The university wants to squeeze its library system to save $5 million and is preparing to shut down the George and Mary Foster Anthropology Library to make up some of the shortfall. But more than 1,800 students, faculty, and others have signed on to a petition to protect the library. Over 70 students took over the library for two nights last week to show their love for what the petition calls the cornerstone of the anthropology department. UC Berkeley's new library plan envisions shutting three of its 23 libraries. The Foster Library houses an estimated 50,000 volumes of anthropology. Scholars studying various cultures say they depend on access to the library for their work and that shutting it down would disproportionately hurt people of color who are often drawn to the field.
4: Hollywood is facing a moment of change and challenge. How is that going to show up on the Oscars stage next Sunday? KCBS's Keith McHoney reports.
1: If you trace the history of the Oscars, you'll also trace out the history of Hollywood itself. It shows you a a kind of sea change in, in the culture and in the movies. Author Michael Shulman, whose new book, Oscar Wars, chronicles key moments in Oscars history. As the name suggests, for him... That award stage is a battleground. So what's the battle that's playing out this year? I think there's a lot of uncertainty about what movies even are now. Um a lot of a lot of those genres have shifted to, to streaming television. People don't know necessarily how to make money off of streaming. It's all a big mess. And I think that this year's Oscars kind of reflect that. One film that seems like it has found a winning formula, the Surprise Awards frontrunner everything, everywhere, all at once. It's an indie movie, but it's made over $100 million, and people absolutely love it and go have gone to see it in the theaters. Giving the industry hope, says Shulman, that some of these challenges could be overcome. Keith Mancone, KCBS.
3: Subscribe to the All Local wherever you get your podcasts. And stream us on your smart speaker 24-7 by saying, play KCBS Radio.